You need to know if something can be built. You don't have to know how to build it yourself. You just right. have to know um, that it can be done and that if you can get the money from Silicon Valley or something, you can hire the, the engineers to build it for you. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, UpWest, and Hippo Insurance. This episode is all about innovation, episode 276 with Wes Budville, founder of Linket. Wes is an inventor with 20 granted U.S. patents on cell phones. He holds a Ph.D. in theoretical physics from Caltech and did a postdoc at Los Alamos under George Zwig, the co-discoverer of quarks. Wes co-founded Metaswarm for anti-spam and Linket with 13 patents on branding. He attended Burning Man from 1992 to 1999. Wes Budville, thank you so much for joining on 20 Minute Leaders. Welcome to my show. How are you? Hello. Fine. I'm calling from Los Angeles and the weather is cloudy. (laughs) <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm calling from Tel Aviv. It's been cloudy all week. Uh, but Wes, I, the reason why I'm so excited to, to chat with you, besides for the besides your energy and enthusiasm, is I get to talk to an inventor in front of me. And I love talking to inventors because uh, I, I consider myself an inventor on, in, in many capacities. But but the way that you've done it over the past uh, over the past years and holding patents and creating these innovative technologies based on real problems, and I think it's fascinating. So Wes, give me a little bit of background as to who you are and why do you consider yourself an inventor? Oh, um, I came to America in 1983 to Los Angeles to get my PhD in theoretical physics and from Caltech in LA. And I, I did that and then I stayed in Los Angeles ever since. And so <laughs> I've lived here much longer than I have in Australia where I'm from. And I'm a first generation Australian. Um, I was born in Malaysia. I'm Chinese mostly, and I have a French surname. It's one of these accents of history. But you know, in Stanford, um, you guys are used to that too. You get people from everywhere. A hundred percent. So, Wes, how do you stumble upon this idea of innovation and invention? Oh, what does that um, even mean to you? Because I, I stumbled on it. That's the right way to put it. I'm trained as a physicist. I got two degrees in physics, and then I made my living after I got my PhD as a computer programmer because this was 1989. And back, just the web was born that year. And there were plenty of jobs for programmers. But in nine, during the dot-com years, I joined a dot-com startup and it failed like most of them did. But then I got hit with a startup bug and I've been in the startup scene ever since. And in 2008, I, I stopped programming. I, I programmed computers from 1979 to 2008, 40 years. I started Fortran, I ended in Java. But then I, just, I went into actually filing patent applications for myself. And it was, by now I have 20 US patents under my own name. I'm single author on 19 of them. And and, and it's, it's all engineering. So I started off as a physicist, but now I'm an engineer. But I, I feel like I, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I'm very lucky because um, for this, yeah, a lot of people are not in, in their jobs. And I really am happy. I feel like I'm in grad school back at Caltech 30 years ago because I'm doing research and I'm doing it for myself. Wes, that's, a, that's one of the most inspiring things I've heard in more than 300 episodes. Uh, 
tell me a little bit about these these inventions, these patents that you oh, okay. created. Uh, what are some of them like? Sure. Um, I have my 20 patents uh, in two groups. The first group of seven patents, it's on barcodes, like QR codes, two-dimensional barcodes. And my, my patents for that are to control a screen, an electronic screen, a flat screen that's near you, a big flat screen that shows an image, and the image shows a barcode. And so you take out your cell phone and you, you take a photo of the barcode and you get on your cell phone a, a web page. And that web page has buttons you can click, you know, things you can do. And you can control the big screen in front of you, the, the big flat screen. And, right. and okay, now that's the abstract. The practical case is in a, if you're a pedestrian on the street and you're looking at a, a shop window, inside the shop window behind the glass is a big flat screen showing something for sale with a barcode. When you scan the barcode, you get a search box on your phone, a, a, a web page. The search box, pretend it's Google or something, and you type um, dresses. And then, but when you hit return, the results are not shown on your phone. They're shown on the big flat screen behind the glass. And so if it's a dress or a hat or a shirt, you can see it life-size. And you can search the shop's entire inventory. That's important because it solves a problem that stood 400 years um, ever since shop windows were invented. Um, the shop window is too small to show all the goods. So every few months, a shop manager has to refresh the window physically. Right. Um, she puts in new, new things. Well, now right. she can still do that, but now you can um, you search for whatever you want, and then it'll display on a, a big size. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Wes, how do you stumble upon that invention? So I, I want to take this and, and explore this a little bit more broadly about what it means to be an inventor. And and so what I would love to hear from you is sort of with these inventions, how did you how did you even think of them? Because I'm guessing that you're not too much into retail and fashion. You're not yeah. an expert in retail or fashion. So how do you go ahead and create a patent based right. on well, retail that, and fashion? That's right. That's the hardest and still in the, some, the most mysterious thing for anybody, unless you were Thomas Edison. Um, he had a thousand patents. But the hardest thing is that at the core of the innovative process. And the good thing, one thing is that you, you need a good and technical education. You don't have to be an engineer or scientist, but it helps. But you need to know if something can be built. You don't have to know how to build it yourself. You just right. have to know um, that it can be done and that if you can get the money from Silicon Valley or something, you can hire the, the engineers to build it for you. Um, but so I guess for me, with, with the barcode thing, I imagined it um, and I got the, the patents on it, but I just um, like a remote control of a screen. That, that's what I was thinking of without being able to touch it. Or, or what I'm doing right now, my main focus on my most of my, my 13 other patents are an alternative to to domains or domain name system. And um, domains were used in the 1970s because when the internet was born, there were no domains. So you would then like email or log into like John at, and then you give an internet address who's, if he's at UCLA, but nobody wanted to remember that. So domains themselves were invented so that people could write John at UCLA.edu or John right. at Stanford.edu. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know that's why domains were invented, by the way. Um, domains actually are older than the web. The web is 1989, uh, the World Wide Web, HTML, 1989. Uh, before that, people had, you know, um, people had email addresses at, at Stanford, UCLA, uh, Caltech, and, and also at HP. So, um, but yeah, domain, 
because the first killer app of the of the internet was probably email and email needed domain email helped create domains and right. then the second killer app was really up the web later on for sure so so then talk to me a little bit about this uh, about more broadly this um domain problem and why why oh, okay. do you need 13 okay, patents sure. to to address um, the domains or dns which is domain name system it was invented so that you did not have to memorize an internet address which were then like you know 10.15.25.128 something it's meaningless even for engineers and right. back then when domains were invented the only users of the web sending email were the hardcore researchers there's no money there were engineers and professors and grad students throughout the us so these, right. these were serious people um, but even they could see the immediate use of a domain name system uh, you yeah. know mit.edu is simple to remember sure and so, so there are things like this and so in, in what i'm doing right now with this thing called linkets which are an alternative to domains um we faced I faced a similar problem of people having to memorize two long alphanumeric strings that didn't really mean anything. But then I realized, and so I, re I remember that day, I was walking to a park in Pasadena, and I was just, I just was thinking about this problem. Then I realized that we were, we, the human race, were here before in the 1970s and 80s, that then they had a problem of trying to remember internet addresses. So you avoid that problem. DNS is the solution to that. Here, they had something called deep links, which were used, which were actually invented in Silicon Valley in the <laughs> early 2010s. And I put it, but the, the deep links have these two long uh, strings. One string is just like an app ID in an app store. Right. But uh, nobody really remember, wants to remember an app ID, even if you could. Of so, course. Yeah. And so I just came up with the idea of just putting a label on it. And I just had to call the label something. I couldn't call it domains because that's not quite what it is. So I just thought link it because like link, like LinkedIn and all that link. It's it's a sure. connection. And <clears throat> and also the big thing for mine was that right now they use something called Unicode, which you know about if you're a computer program. Unicode is a way to represent every written human language. Right. Domains are really A to Z because when they were invented late 70s, that's all we had. Unicode didn't exist. And so the American engineers who invented DNS, they weren't trying to um, act against other countries to discriminate against other countries um, they were just saying that because it turns out uh, domains you can't even for european languages written in the roman alphabet um all the other european languages have accents so, um, right. so the spaniards have the tilde over the end but you can't do a right. tilde domain you can't do french german italian none of them let alone the other languages would use different alphabets like well like cyrillic greek hebrew you know Arabic, right. all no, you just can't uh, so right now, I, with my stuff with Lincoln, I start with Unicode, which means I can do all the languages from scratch right now. Wow. So what? So what is that actually? How do you actually see this unfold? You mentioned that you've written a series of patents to go about this. Right, even before we continue with Lincoln, talk to me about the process of writing a patent. You oh, sit down okay. and you have this yeah. idea. How does right. it actually work end to end? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, actually, I, I taught classes in this, like, you know, patenting your invention. Yeah, but exactly. Um, it turns out if you're an engineer and if you were having a, a, an undergraduate degree in engineering or science, you can basically write a patent. You have enough technical training to do that um, because it's just like you're writing, like if you're a senior in engineering, you wrote, you're writing a term paper in your senior year on some of your work in the lab. The, and like where you where you're told to pretend that just submitting it to an academic journal and maybe you are maybe your professor is 
it's the same sort of thing. There's, you have to use formal language, but it, it, you don't need to use any legal language, despite what a patent attorney might say to you. And here's the thing. Like in, in San Francisco, when you use a patent attorney, everything's more expensive there in San Francisco, you know. Well, you already did that, no, knew that. But um, it can cost easily $5,000 to file a patent application. And that's just to, wow. that's to pay the attorney. And it's about $500 to pay the government. And then you, you wait. Oh, but if you are into startups, you guys, um, one of the things to do, the, the good thing to do is that if you have an idea about a patent application, you if you have to, you pay an attorney or you do it yourself, whatever, you file the patent application, let's say, next week. and then But the government gets it, but nothing will happen for the next 18 months. So then you... You would go with your with your receipt. You get a you know a serial number of the patent application, <laughs> sure. and then you use that to show like investors, angels, and VCs. And you can build it out if you can afford it. Like if it's a mechanical thing, if it's software, because you have eighteen months where nothing will happen with your patent application. So that's the way to do it. You should not file like just um, you shouldn't build it first and file because you lose the time, and time is right. everything. So what happens if you file a patent and then within those 18 months you have other people that are filing those provisional patents? Yeah. Um, on, a, on a similar idea. Well, that's just it. Okay. That, that 18 months, you just don't know. You, you really don't, you know, don't know. The provisionals, uh, they aren't published or, the, or even the patents pending, which is what I do. I do not file provisionals. I file the full patents pending, a patent mm. pending. It's a bit more expensive. But anyway, uh, for the 18 months, your, your application won't be published. So nobody else could, could see it for 18 months. Um, but it also means you can't see. So you don't know that in that next 18 months, if somebody else was actually did it early before you. Um, right. So it's a little bit nerve-wracking, especially if you have a valuable idea. Now, there are the, now the following is just like um, empirical, empirical. But put it this way, um, every, in that 18 months, every week, like for example, when you, when you look at, this, at the new patent applications, they're published every week. If you don't see somebody else coming up with your idea, then every week the odds improve that your idea was the first. It's not a of proof, course. but it's just it's like playing the odds. Um, of course. Especially, and it increases the odds that Google and Microsoft and other big companies have in your idea. Because once, once they have filed a patent application, uh, they don't have to wait, or they or you. Once you get that receipt back from the government, you can talk about it the next day. Right. 18 right. And so when you don't at Google or Microsoft, if they have filed a patent application like of the same idea as yours, like yesterday, then today they can just publicize, they can publish their, themselves they, on their blog, of whatever. They, they were allowed to do that legally. But and they have all the money in the world to, to do that to scare people of away. Course. If they don't if they don't do that, they probably haven't done that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love Maybe. I love that. I, I love the rationale. So Wes, tell me a little bit about LinkIt. You've written uh, your, your last few patents based on this, on, on the domain space. Uh, from my oh, understanding, yeah. what you're trying yes. to do is, is um, you're trying to democratize the, these domains so that really we can use Unicode, which really is any character that we, that we, can, that we have on our computer to, uh, to create those domains. What, why, do you, why are you doing that and what are the possible implications? Oh, okay. Um, the, the big first problem is that um, for the last 20 years, um, the top .com domains that are English words have been bought by people who speculate. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just saying this is what they've done. And today, the speculators are called domainers. Some of them do this full-time for a living. So they bought what words does that like, mean? What do they do? 
Oh, they bought like a domain, like these are the .com domains because the most valuable domains right now are still in the .com um, space. And so it'd be like right. reason.com or ramen.com or curry.com, things with commercial value. Um, do you By think the way, why, why, is the, why is .com valuable mainly because that's what people are used to? Or yes. is there, yes. that's the only reason, right? Right, now, right, and so, but there's no intrinsic reason for this, okay? Right. But um, as a result of that, there were now a thousand top-level domains. Uh, whereas in, two, in the year 2000, there was about 200 um, TLDs. Um, the 200 TLDs then were basically like the .com, like the five or six original um, TLDs, right. plus the, the TLDs that were country codes, the two-letter country codes, .uk, .uk. AU, you know, all those. And then they added 800 more in the last 20 years, mostly right. in the last 10 years. Those aren't, those are doing okay, but nobody's really making much money in it from what I understand. Um, so you, yes, anybody can still get a domain if you, if you don't really care what the, the suffix is, what the TLD you're in. But by reasons of prestige, it's, and like the .com years were responsible for this, even the name .com, it was the something the .com, .com where the money bubble, was. Right, so, 100%. Yeah. So, so that's so what, why, what, so what are you trying to do now okay. with, with removing um, that, right. the, well, removing the, that ending? What it means is that today, if you are some startup in, in Silicon Valley, for example, and you want to get like, um, you want a food sub or something, and you want to get like ramen.com, because maybe you sell like Indian food or something. Uh, just, just say, like, uh, for that, you'd like to get ramen.com, but let's just say you, you go there and you look and somebody else owns it, and they want $20,000 for it. Now, um, maybe they want less, sometimes they could want more. They can ask. Right. They can ask whatever amount they want. Now, to give you an actual number. Business.com. In 1993, somebody bought that directly from Verisign for the first time, and they paid like back then the, the standard price, which is like $300 a year, something like. That. Um, in 1999, at the height of the dot com, it was sold for about five million dollars. Five million in at that time, and yeah, it's something like that. It's it's in the records. I don't, but that's. And and the price that the that the buyer bought bought it for the five million dollars the buyer paid was probably still a good deal because since ninety nine the the dot the the, the the web has grown and grown and you know like we added over a billion people in and yeah in India China Europe as well right. as America and so yeah you can imagine so that's right and so right now what we're doing is that we are selling these linkets well fifteen dollars that's one five and so that's Two or three orders make you cheaper than you can buy the dot com, the equivalent dot com domain from a domainer. Um, and and like so, how, how do they look? Right. So instead of like, okay, I, I use the example ramen dot com. I, I don't really know how much it's going for, but let's just say somebody was wanting like twenty thousand dollars. That's about reasonable. Sure. Um, the the equivalent linket is just ramen. The word ramen in square brackets. That's we're, it. Ramen in square brackets. That, yeah, and we're selling that for fifteen dollars, one five. Um, so it's. Three orders magnitude less than twenty thousand um, dollars. But wait, yeah. I have a question because this is all about supply and demand, right? I mean, it's basic economics. You know, the reason yes. why Robin.com yeah. is high in price is because you have a lot of potential buyers, so you yeah. you so you you increase the price. But now, let's say that somebody buys from you for fifteen dollars, the square brackets Robin, and let's now now there's going to be a demand as people transition to Linkits instead of the dot com. You're yeah. going to be the mainstream, so it's going to be again a seller's market, right? Well. Yeah. Um, well, we, I think we're selling too low right now, but we are just starting. We, and so we have to, price is one of our main advantages right now. 
and it, later on we will sell. Oh, but we also have a reserved list because this is what the, the domain registrars are doing today already. Um, some of the domains right now, if, um, they'll sell at high prices. We have a reserved right. list of certain words, like certain, basically right now it's English words, certain words like um, Intel, which doesn't yes. mean Intel Corporation, the chip maker. It just Intel means intelligence, like mil military right. intelligence. So Intel, nobody, so um, so we'll sell like the Lincoln, just Intel, um, the Lincoln, oh, computer. No, so all of these we right. reserve and we want to, we'll start selling these off like two or three years down the road. We'll auction it off. So we let, we're going to let the market decide. And we our reserve list right now is about 20,000 reserved Lincolns. We're going to grow that wow. to 100,000 because we, we since we do Unicode, we, we are going to use, like the word Intel, we will reserve that in French and Italian and German and in Chinese, all of these. So essentially, right now with domains, with the domainers, everybody's working in English, basically. Right. But now with in Lincoln's, it's, in, it's dictionaries in every language. So we can just do it over again. And that's how right. we want to make our money one day. I think that's just uh, that's just spectacular. And so, Linked. I'm guessing it's a company that is now running, and and it's is it actually active? Like, is, does it work that I can actually use Square yeah. Brackets um, to go to well, websites? Yeah, I mean, people can can go on it. They they can apply, and then um, if nobody has it, then we'll send. You know, we'll, that they can buy it from us. If it's not on our reserve list, we'll sell it to them. And then we we have instructions, which are this is our alpha version. We have instructions on how they can if they were a coder, if they were a you know a computer program how they can like mod their web pages to use the linkers it's early days right now there's a long way to go but right now i'd like to think that right now it's like in 1992 when you could buy business.com for the first time even if you didn't know how to write a web page even if you didn't know html just owning because when you buy a do domain right. today even today you still don't have to do anything with it you don't have to put a website right. on you can just own it i remember uh, we have a, an interesting story in my my, my uh my uh, uncle bought shoes.com many years ago and it obviously became very valuable and it actually and it actually it actually <laughs> prompted it prompted yeah. him and his partners to start a company called shoes.com which later sold but yeah. uh, it was it, oh, it but yeah. it's, uh, I, yeah. I definitely understand the value of domains uh, but Wes I want to thank you for being so generous with your time this was uh, I, I love this conversation so much energy and and I just love uh, going all the way back to the beginning you saying how lucky you are to be in a place where you feel like you're back in grad school in yeah. Caltech and, and and doing these extraordinary research things and, and I just love your passion and enthusiasm so thank you for sharing that yeah. before we leave the hardest question I need three words that you would use to describe yourself. Uh, intelligent, inventor, um, engineer. I love that. Wes, thank you very much. Best of luck with LinkedIn. I'm going to go buy my own LinkedIn right now. Thank you very much for everything. And okay. stay safe and stay healthy. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.